I'll be talking about more than just the Benjamins. Welcome to Fintech Beat, where finance, technology, and policy meet. And I'm your host, Chris Brummer. The future of finance is now. Today we have a very special episode. There is perhaps no other country in the world more closely associated with financial innovation than the United Kingdom. Now, this is for a variety of reasons, some more auspicious than others. On the positive side of the ledger, Great Britain was at the forefront of monetary policy and innovation. I mean, by the 17th century, it had already developed a clearing system for banks and was in 1821 the very first country to officially adopt a gold standard. And that sparked in turn an era of financial liberalization and development that would impact the global economy. At the same time, Brexit has been a major trigger too and has focused the mind of regulators on how the country can build out its financial system while detaching from the European Union and remaining at the forefront of financial innovation is seen as a necessary tool for the prosperity of the country. And as a host of some of the largest capital markets in the world, how it navigates its financial policy will have a direct impact on not only the United States, but the rest of the world. To talk about these issues, Tim Mutton, who leads the Bank of England's innovation policies, has agreed to sit down with me today and to talk a bit about fintech on the other side of the pond. So I'm standing right across from the Bank of England in one of the best-named coffee shops in the world, Grind where I'm about to have our conversation. Now, just to set the stage, the Bank of England is, of course, one of the oldest central banks in the world and is currently located in a fantastic marble-like building that notably doubles as a museum for the bank. And it is just a beautiful day. We've got the double-decker buses rolling through on their way to uh, Liverpool Street, the black taxis picking up the investment bankers and lawyers at the nearby bank and Moorgate underground stations. And this is because in London, regulators and the banks um, basically work side by side. It's not divided as, you know, with Wall Street in New York and uh, the regulators in DC. And just standing outside, you hear bits and pieces of conversations with the word EU and interest rates and even Brexit. But of course, our conversation is going to focus on fintech. So let's go inside. So we are just extremely happy to have with us Tom Mutton from the Bank of England, the maestro of fintech affairs. Thanks so much, Tom, for taking the time to talk to us here on Fintech Beat. Well, uh, thanks, Chris, and uh, welcome to the Bank of England. Great. Okay, so I guess one of the first questions, particularly given the fact that you're on the front lines of these conversations on fintech and financial innovation, and really it, it appears to lots of folks that every country is sort of scrambling to think through their fintech policy, what exactly is different? What, what exactly would you say is the particular brand, if any, of financial innovation in the United Kingdom? And where does the Bank of England fit in the midst of all of this activity? So I think uh, the UK has got a pretty uh, exciting and special mix uh, for fintech. Um, so we've long been a center of uh, international finance. Um, so 40% of global financial exchange, uh, foreign exchange, 40% uh, of global over-the-counter derivatives are booked in London, more uh, international banking business than anywhere else. So we've always been a big global financial centre, um, but we're also a big tech centre. We've got over 2 million tech jobs in the UK, 
London itself has more than 300,000 uh, software developer jobs, coding jobs. Uh, it's Europe's number one center by some distance. And we're also a really, really big and vibrant uh, fintech center. So more than 1,600 fintechs. We've got 13 of Europe's 34 unicorns. Uh, the role of the bank in that is um, to try and enable safe and sustainable innovation, uh, to try and embrace the potential of fintech, which can really help uh, make the most of finance for customers, for users, for businesses, for households, and also to try and uh, enable competition in markets, um, in particular collaborating with the FCA who have their sandbox, um, which is a really great initiative as well. Just to also to make clear, when, when the central bank or a central bank says we want to help to promote f um, sustainable financial innovation, that, that's really interesting because as you had mentioned, the Financial Conduct Authority in the United Kingdom has its own regulatory sandbox and they're the, the market regulators. Um, those are the folks who regulate everything from uh, financial conduct and the like and they're trying to kickstart innovation here in the United Kingdom. Uh, but what does it mean for, for a central bank? Um, one of the things I, I, I noticed, for example, is uh, the new plans to expand access to the Bank of England's core infrastructure to fintechs and, and, and like. But what is a central bank's role in financial innovation? So I think in particular uh, here in the Bank of England, uh, we try and make a a big virtue of our attempts to be a platform for innovation. Um, we think about this in terms of uh, what we call hard and soft public infrastructure. Uh, so the hard infrastructure is the payment system we operate. Uh, that's a public good. Uh, it processes about 650 billion pounds sterling per day of uh, payments. Uh, it's the backbone of our financial system here in the UK. Uh, almost all payments route through this in some way, shape or form. And that's uh, really our kind of quintessential hard infrastructure. Uh, we're modernizing that. Uh, we're making sure it's fit for a digital age. Um, we had a look at whether that could be based on distributed ledger, um, and we actually decided that that technology, uh, like a few of our central bank peers, actually probably wasn't quite ready yet. Um, but what we have done is thought about how distributed ledger business models might plug and play with that piece of public infrastructure we've created. So we did a number of experiments and proof of concepts to look at that. Uh, we've also expanded access to that infrastructure. Um, this is a really big deal for us. Um, so we're the first uh, G7 central bank uh, to allow people who are not uh, traditional banks to actually use that high value payment system. Uh, so we have six companies who are in and a whole bunch more who'd like to join. So when one thinks about uh from that answer, it seems to have different kinds of pieces in it. So on the one hand, there's the question of distributed ledger, crypto assets, or digital assets, and how that can potentially improve uh, payments. Um, and then there seems to be the question of just what are the role of non-deposit taking institutions as, as vehicles for financial innovation. Um, uh, and we'll get to the first one in just a second because uh, uh, there were some interesting uh, comments coming out of the Bank of England about uh, uh, the role of things like central bank digital currencies. But before we jump there, the, this idea of, of fintechs and non-bank companies and their ability to access the payment system. Could you maybe just sort of walk us through what exactly that would mean and what exactly the the Bank of England is thinking about because you guys are really at the forefront and as far as I know one of the first maybe the only central bank to have gotten to the stage of of really considering what kind of role those kinds of institutions can play 
in payments, and, and that's been something that's that's largely been reserved for the role of traditional banks. So that's um, that's a great question. It goes sort of straight to the heart of the issue. So uh, one of the great things about fintech um, is the possibility that it offers diversity in options for financing. So households, businesses can have a choice of how they choose to borrow, save, invest. And as a central bank, and this kind of talks to our uh, concept of soft infrastructure, having already explained the hard infrastructure, what we need to make sure is that innovation is safe, consumers are protected, so they can benefit from innovation in a way that they know it's reliable and sustainable. Um, and in particular there, we also think about uh, the possibility of enabling competition. Um, and when we think about our infrastructure, um, it plays some important roles. So it makes sure the system is resilient. Um, it makes sure the system is effective because people can directly participate in the central bank infrastructure. They don't have to rely on intermediaries. They can have direct access to things like payment systems. And it can also you know, promote competition. In doing that, um, what we've done is said that uh, for the payment system, non-banks can access that system because the services they're offering to customers um, should also have the benefit of being able to directly participate in our infrastructure. But a crucial part of that is thinking about what the right safeguards are. And when we expanded access to settlement systems, um, it was a really major policy choice and we had to spend a lot of time together with the Financial Conduct Authority, the markets regulator, thinking about how were these institutions regulated, how are they making sure that they were treating their customers in the right way and they wouldn't introduce risks into our infrastructure and payment system. And therefore we thought very carefully about how they were regulated and the functions they were providing. Um, I think as you mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago at the sort of, the, the sort of set piece annual speech, the Mansion House speech, the governor announced that we would uh, look at um, possibly expanding access to our infrastructure. So we've already allowed people to enter the payment system, subject to those safeguards. But uh, we would look at what the appropriate level of access to other types of central bank services would be for non-banks, uh, including whether they should have a case for being able to use our balance sheet, um, which is a major policy development. As you know, uh, uh, many of your, your, your peer central banks scattered throughout the world uh, are at least considering the idea of a, of a central bank digital currency. Uh, you guys are clearly at the forefront of a lot of um, applications of financial technology to central banking services. Uh, you had mentioned earlier that uh, there was a view that uh, some distributed ledger technologies just, just aren't quite there yet, but uh, maybe if you could elaborate a little bit about what you would want to see uh, or what you would expect to see if you're going to integrate some of these technologies into central banking and uh, uh, what would be the process for evaluating the maturity of those technologies uh, for your daily activities? So interest in digital currencies um, is growing really fast. Um, the way that I sort of think about this is um, we've had a lot of interest in Bitcoin. Um, that's now somewhat moved to stable coins um, and the, the kind of precise definitions there are are pretty blurry in some senses uh, between crypto uh, currencies and stable coins. And then also, uh, particularly in some areas of the world, um, Sweden, for example, really close interest in central bank digital currencies. Um, in the Bank of England, we don't currently plan to issue a, a retail central bank digital currency, um, but it is an absolutely kind of crucial research topic. And we are hugely interested in thinking about this and being kind of at the forefront of research on it. In our recent future finance report, uh, we said that uh, the card networks generate a good outcome for UK consumers, but we don't have something which is very common in parts of Europe, 
which is the ability at point of sale or peer-to-peer -to, -peer to initiate a transfer from my bank account to your bank account. And that offers choice, and it offers convenience, and it may also offer keener pricing. So in some senses, that's a higher priority for us than a central bank digital currency. Um, not to say the situation wouldn't change. Um, and also when we think about central bank digital currency, I mean, there's a number of arguments for why it's an important thing. Um, in particular, some people say the ability to have access to a risk-free asset, banking at the central bank is really crucial. Um, and also it could promote financial inclusion. Those are not really mainstream reasons in the UK at the moment. Um, less than 2% of the UK population is unbanked. And of that, a number of those people elect to be unbanked. Um, and also, we have £85,000 of deposit insurance. So you don't really need the main, like the access to the sort of ultimate so-called risk-free assets if you're a mainstream customer, because frankly, not that many Britons have more than £85,000 in their bank account. Okay, Tom, there's this little company called Facebook. I'm not entirely sure if you've heard of them, but they're pretty big. And they want to do things that uh, some folks feel could change the international payment system, particularly with the release, of course, of their new cryptocurrency, Libra. Uh, what do you think about it? Uh, what's, what's your view, and is this something that central bankers really need to keep a closer eye on? So uh, Libra is definitely the talk of the town. Uh, it's been uh, much rumored uh, for a long time, and now, uh, I guess, following the publication of the white paper, we have some sense of uh, what they might have in mind. Um, to use the governor's uh, kind of uh, language on this, uh, we have an open mind uh, because uh, the international payment system is something where there are some serious frictions and uh, some definitely unfulfilled demands uh, which innovation could, uh, could help meet. Uh, but we definitely don't have an open door on this. Um, there are some very serious questions which central banks absolutely have to think about and understand. Um, if Libra were to gain scale, and you could well see how it might, uh, then it would absolutely have to meet the highest standards of both prudential and conduct regulation. And what's absolutely crucial about that is we must make sure that those regulatory frameworks are appropriate and work and are there in advance because uh, the lesson I think we can learn from social media is don't let these things reach hundreds of millions of people, billions of people, uh, and then think about what the appropriate regulatory framework might be afterwards. So I guess I'll, I'll end uh, with the with more of a larger macro political question and, and how it relates to, to what you're doing and even policy goals. I mean, obviously Brexit is a really interesting uh, topic and it's driving uh, policy considerations throughout the country. Uh, what is the relationship between Brexit and financial innovation? I mean, is this elevating the importance of financial innovation as a, as a policy matter? Um, is, is it uh, impacting your decision-making in terms of how you think through the priority list of, of, of different uh, uh, financial technology applications and, and the operations of uh, the Bank of England? Uh, what is Brexit doing <laughs> to your job? So Brexit is a huge part of uh, many people's jobs around here. Uh, I'm possibly in a fortunate minority where actually it doesn't affect my job that much, um, for which I'm grateful uh, every <laughs> single day. Um, the reality is, is that um, fintech is really international. Um, but when I think about where the really interesting innovations happen, yes, loads of them are happening in Europe. I mentioned bank-to-bank -bank payments in places like Sweden. Um, but I look to Asia uh, as much as I look to to Europe. I looked to the US. Um, uh, Latin America, for example, has some really interesting innovations. Um, 
and I think the really crucial thing here to think about is how are we providing the right public infrastructure to support safe innovation? How are we collaborating with our international peers, not just in Europe, but globally through things like the Financial Stability Board, um, the Committee on Payments and Market Infrastructure, to make sure that we're thinking about how to foster safe innovation in fintech? And Europe's hugely important, can't dispute that, but there is a pretty wide world out there, and some of the really exciting fintech innovations actually are not just exclusive to Europe. Thank you so very, very much for joining us, Tom. This was extremely informative. And uh, again, uh, we really appreciate your time here on Fintech Beat. Cheers. Thank you very much. I'm Chris Brar. Thanks for listening. We want to hear from you. Feel free to email us at fintechbeat at cqrollcall.com or tweet to at Chris Brummer DR. That's at C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-M-M-E-R-D-R. Join us next time on Fintech Beat, produced by CQ Roll Call. So I hope you've enjoyed the conversation. I think that given the day, I'm going to go grab a pint at a nearby pub. After all, when in Rome, or London, you get the idea. <laughs>